guys can be seated. We're going to remain in Galatians 2. If I could recap a little bit where we've been uh, two weeks ago, Easter Sunday, we were here. I know it feels like it's not stopped since Easter Sunday here, but so baptisms, what we uh, celebrating the resurrection, all those things that we did together, but we also read through the conversion of a man named Saul of Tarsus, right? As Saul of Tarsus is out persecuting Christians, he is a religious, zealous Jew. So he is a Jew persecuting Christians, like, and we compared it to Osama bin Laden, like, like fundamentalist, willing to kill for the sake of what they believe, thinking that pleases God. So that's where Saul starts out, zealously Jewish, and he's in pursuit of persecuting Christianity. So those who are Christians, typically early days of the church, had been Jews that converted to Christianity. Now the church is spreading beyond that into primarily non-Jewish areas. We see a big shift in the book of Acts, Acts 13, as Paul and Barnabas leave their church, their home church in Antioch, which is primarily non-Jewish, and they go through southern Galatia, and they are Pre preaching the gospel and seeing people come to faith and then planting churches and uh, establishing elders and handing off the care of those churches to those elders and then going to the next place. But when they leave and go to the next place, I want you to hear this, they don't feel like their job is done. And so they kind of do this like C-shaped route, if you will. And then it'd be a quick jump across some water back to where they began, but they don't do that. They go back the long way. And the idea is they want to go back and help establish the church. They want to make sure that the gospel is set in the church, that the very message of Jesus, the work of Jesus, life, death, and resurrection is established in that church, free of error, missing nothing, nothing added. And that becomes really Paul's main work, his effort in the writing of letters also was all about that making sure the fundamentals of the gospel was there now as paul goes into these churches and establishes these churches or goes into areas and establishes churches and he hands it off this common problem happens as he leaves there's a group of people called judaizers and they are trying to convert christians to judaism not in a way like leave your faith become this faith but rather they're telling people in order to be a good christian you must be a good jew first so they're walking them back through the laws and the practices and the ordinances of judaism so they are adding to the gospel laws and regulations and practices saying ultimately you cannot be a Christian without this. So I'm gonna put something on the screen, more modern day, so legalism and moralism. The church struggles with two wrong human additions to the gospel, moralism, trying really hard to please God, as if your efforts, your work, your effort can please God, make God more pleased with you. I don't mean in the like, hey, you're on track versus you're off track kind of way, like, like more get you into heaven, you with me? more salvation or secure your own salvation by your own work. So that's moralism. Try real hard. What happens, something goes wrong today? 
try real hard tomorrow. That's moralism. So legalism then, and legalism, managing your faith by adding rules. Well, so now I've come to faith, how do I keep my faith? Well, I'm gonna add this rule and I'm gonna add this rule. Not, we're not talking about what scripture calls us to do, but creating rules where there are none. And so we can't do this, or we have to do this, or, and again, in ways that contribute to our salvation. These two are incredibly present in our context, the American church. What they are is adding to the gospel. Paul is writing to the church to establish the gospel, to make sure they are not adding or taking away from the gospel. So Galatians 2, starting in verse 1, says this, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem. This is Paul writing, Paul speaking. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. So here's where we are. Paul has been there, Acts 13, right? If you're tracking in Acts, like that's what he's talking about. He had gone into southern Galatia, 14, went back through there, went home. Then the very next chapter, if you are familiar with the book of Acts, is the Council of Jerusalem. What happens is, in the churches that Paul's been in, just like we said, there have been those who are coming in and corrupting the gospel. So Paul and Barnabas are dealing with this both in Antioch and seeing it in the churches that they had planted. And so Acts 15 verse 1 says this, But some men came down from Judea, meaning Jerusalem, and they were teaching the brothers, meaning the Christians and other places, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. You see the difference? This isn't like, hey, you've come to faith, your next step of obedience is baptism. It's not like, hey, you're a Christian, communion is a way of strengthening and nourishing your faith. This is a, you cannot be saved without this work. You with me? Obedience to this rule. And if you're an adult, trying really hard, because that's not an easy calling, right? Acts 15, 2. And after Paul and Barnabas, the very next verse, had no small dissension and debate with them, meaning the Judaizers, Paul and Barnabas and some of these others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So here's the setting for today. It was what we talked about last week. It's what we'll talk about next week. Here's the context for it. Judaizers are coming into Christian churches where the people, like here, are not primarily Jewish. Right? We may have someone who's Jewish or ethnically Jewish, even maybe came from religiously Jewish. But for the most part, none of us are. And so it's people coming in and saying, in order to be a good Christian, you have to go through Torah law. You have to be obedient to the feasts and the festivals, to the covenant symbols like circumcision, or you can't be saved. Ultimately, Jesus is not enough to save you. It's Jesus plus this. You with me? So that's the context he's writing with. He says, so listen, when this happened, we had no small dissension, debate, conversation, dialogue, argument with them. But when push came to shove, we were not getting anywhere. So we went to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is kind of the hub of Christianity in this moment. There's tens of thousands of Christians in Jerusalem who are primarily, if not exclusively, Jewish. And these Apostles are those who were discipled by Jesus himself. They're all, for the most part, there. And so Paul and Barnabas 
go back to Jerusalem with this conversation, with some Judaizers with them. They go back to settle this thing. So Galatians 2, verse 1, start from the beginning. So after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. That'll mean something in a minute. Verse 2, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. You hear his humility there? Paul saying, I brought this to them to make sure I wasn't off track. Make sure I had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised. So, though he was a Greek. So, Titus is a Greek convert to Christianity. Was never Jewish, so he was uncircumcised. So, circumcision, if you're complete, why are we talking about that? Like, if you're new to the conversation, Judaism, the symbol of covenant Judaism was circumcision. It wasn't just a medical practice or an option like we see it today. It was a, 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 a covenant symbol, literally, that every seed of every human being would pass through. And so if you were circumcised, your children, or before they became your children, passed through this covenant symbol, this promise upon your family. And so as Christianity takes root, so Jesus then enters the story, and he lives a sinless life, and he dies a death that you and I deserve, that he didn't deserve, but he does it on our behalf. He is nailed to a cross. He goes to the grave and dies to cover our sin, then resurrects back to life and ascends to pour out his spirit upon his church, us, to empower us to be his church. Then sending the church into the world commissions his disciples first to be the messengers, the witnesses of what has taken place. So if anyone has the right message, if anyone knows what's right or what's wrong, it should be Peter, James, John, Andrew, etc. Bartholomew, all those, right? Like it should be those disciples, the 11 that remain. Judas betrayed him, the 11 that remain. Paul called separately by Jesus. On the road to Damascus, the very thing we talked about on Easter Sunday, is not only converted by Jesus, but then receives his calling from Jesus. So as he goes into Damascus and the man Ananias disciples him, Jesus calls him to go be a witness to the non-Jewish community. Now, we're going to hear about this in a minute. Peter, who by vocation was a, a fisherman, in other words, was not an A student Jew that other rabbis wanted to take on. He might have been smart, he might have been great, but he wasn't the top or the cream of the crop in Judaism or the rabbis would have kept him. Instead, he went into the family business. Nothing wrong with that. Paul was the cream of the crop who rabbis took on. In fact, one of the most famous Jewish rabbis of all time discipled Paul. And yet Paul, oddly to me, is sent to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. A friend of mine who is in Long Beach, in a, in a tough neighborhood in Long Beach, we often joke that he came from the suburbs and got planted in the ghetto. I came from the ghetto, got planted in the suburbs. Feel like I won, just for the record. That's what happens here. Paul, who has all the pedigrees of Judaism, is sent to a non-Jewish community to take them the gospel. 
Now that may seem contrary, but it's actually Paul gets it. Paul sees how Jesus fulfilled these things and how they were just a foreshadowing of Christ to come anyways. So he understands why they're not necessary and what value they play, but how they're not needed for salvation and don't add to the work of Jesus. So as he goes out to share the gospel, he's clear on that. But when push comes to shove, and there's a debate here, they go back to Jerusalem to the rest of the apostles, to the disciples of Jesus, where he poured into them for three years, one-on-one or one-on-twelve or whatever it looked like, right? So he goes back to them, and he submits to this. Like, hey, I know Jesus called me and, and sent me, but I was discipled by Ananias. I want to hear from you, and I want to make sure I got nothing wrong. And he brings Titus, a Greek, who then is engaged in this conversation. He gets to be amongst all the Jewish Christian religious leadership, all the apostles' disciples. And he's never circumcised. No one ever calls him to that. The outcome of the Jerusalem Council is that circumcision isn't a part of Christianity. It was a foreshadowing of Christ to come. That's it, a covenant symbol. Verse 4. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom, and I want you to hear that word, to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they may bring us into slavery. Now you think those words are triggers in our culture. The original slaves, right? Judaism. Israel's been a slave more times than I can count, right? 400 and something years in Egypt alone. Conquered by Assyria, conquered by Babylon. They're still second-class citizens at this point under Rome. So when he says this, he's not, he's not saying, like, I love pizza. Well, like, that's different than I love my wife. You know, like, oh, I hate that. Like, that's different than hate. He's not just rhetorically saying things. Like, he means slavery and freedom. So these men slipped in to spy out our freedoms in Christ and to return us to slavery. See, he's talking about bringing us back under a law. And so as Jesus came in, we always talk about Jesus lived a sinless life. That means Jesus fulfilled all the Torah law and commands. He did all the right things. He didn't do any of the wrong things. That Jesus was both God and man. And in his human body, he was sinless. He lived the life you and I are called to live, but we fail. And, not, and I hate to say fail like we're victims of this system, but we choose not to. And if we're Christians and we're in here and we have the spirit inside of us, we should know better that we sin and on purpose. We make those decisions when we know better. So Jesus, sinless, goes to the cross to set us free from the bondage of sin. Not to place us under a new bondage, but to set us free in the gospel. And there's more there. As Jesus resurrects from the grave to give us a new life, he empowers us to live. As he pours out his spirit on his church, he empowers us to be different. So he doesn't just lay more restrictions, rules, things on us. That's the thing, by the way, that kept me out of the church for so long is my exposure to the church when I was young was rules. I know this will shock you. I'm not good at rules. That may um, be somewhat obvious, right? And all I heard was rules, and I didn't see, I didn't see Jesus until I did. 
but you can give me rules. I don't really care about walking on your grass until there's a sign that says, stay off my grass. I'm gonna dig up your grass. That's not right, it's just true. But if you show me a way to be about something, I will be about something. I've been about something all my life, just the wrong things. So you give me a mission to be on, a focus to have, a purpose bigger than me, I'm there. But you give me a bunch of rules, we're not gonna make it. So Paul says, listen, they're trying to steal our freedom and put us into slavery again. So I wanna put this question on the screen for you. So, Moralism, legalism, if we follow Jesus without trying hard to please God and protect our faith maybe with new rules, how could we possibly be a good Christian? Because that conversation can easily lead to, hey, do whatever you want to do, you'll be forgiven in the end, which is not the gospel. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, almost a century ago now, called that cheap grace because it is free to you, you'd understand that it cost Jesus everything. Because forgiveness is free to you. It cost Christ everything. It cost God his only son. It cost Jesus his very life. It's not cheap. See, grace is transforming. We talk about that a lot. It's not an excuse to do what you want to do. So we're not talking about, you just, you know, that's antinomianism. Just do whatever you want to do. No law, no rules. Just do whatever you want to do. And if it's wrong, God will forgive you in the end. That's not the message. So the question is, if try really hard is not the answer and add rules is not the answer, then how are we going to stay on track? So I want to give you two verses. So Ezekiel 36, 26, you guys know me. This is my favorite verse in all of scripture. I will give you a new heart, God says, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Here's what he says. I'm going to take that knucklehead heart out of you, that heart of stone, and I'm going to put in you a heart of flesh, one that can beat for me. And then I'm going to put my spirit in you, which will cause you to walk in the right ways. See, that's God's answer to, new being, to being new people. Now let's go to the New Testament. So in John 14, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Here's what he doesn't say. If you love me, then obey my commands. He says it's like math. If you love me, you will obey my commands. See, you don't have to give me a lot of rules on how to be a better husband. I can learn, but you don't have to say, hey, don't beat your wife, that's a bad idea. Like, that's kind of a given, right? Don't yell at her and call her names that will hurt her. That will be bad, right? You don't have to tell me things, tell me rules. All you have to do is teach me how to love my wife better, and those things fall away. See, when you love Jesus, you end up following Jesus. Right, if you love your friend, you'll be a better friend. If you love your spouse, you'll be a better spouse. If you love Jesus, you'll be a better follower of Jesus. That's what he says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Because it's easy. It's not always easy. Don't get me wrong. That's easier than try hard. That's easier than make new rules that I didn't make. 
Then he says, and I will put my spirit within you, another helper. He'll be with you forever. I will empower you to be different. Love me, be empowered by the spirit, live your life. And you will. The natural outcome is you'll become a follower of Jesus. Back in Galatians verse 5, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. He says to them. Now he's not talking about the disciples. Remember, he came in humble, right? He came in, hey, I just want to make sure I wasn't running in vain. That's what he says. To the Judaizers that came in who tried to change the gospel and add to the gospel, we didn't give an inch. This isn't okay, not even a little. He says, no, we didn't do this. And so he's telling the apostles, like, listen, this is, this is how we handled it, right? This is Paul's big theological fight of his life. This is it. It is not just establishing and preserving the gospel. It is keeping the gospel from this particular thing, from adding to it, especially the Judaizers, where he is incredibly knowledgeable, because that's who he was, right? Because he was an elite Jewish religious leader. So we'll put this note up. Paul writes letters to young churches to teach them the gospel message of freedom in Christ so they will teach the next generation of the church correctly. That becomes Paul's mission. So yes, he's a church planter. He seems to be an effective evangelist at some level. He's an effective leader, discipler, because he raises up elders and hands them churches. But as he does that, he never stops there. As he went out and did it, instead of just going home, he went back. The whole idea is making sure they're good. And then as he leaves, and then after this, a little while later, went to northern Galatia, and then he writes a letter to all the churches in Galatia. These are early letters. He's trying to make sure the gospel is established. He's investing in those churches with his time, with his writing, and eventually as he ends up in prison for his faith, he will continue to write letters and encourage the churches. Ultimately, later, pouring himself into two men, a man named Timothy and Titus, that they can help lead the next generation of the church better than he did. Verse 6, and from those who seem to be influential, he says parenthetically, what they were makes no difference to me, God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. Yeah, they had great pedigrees. I don't care, he says. Verse 7, on the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted to the gospel to the circumcised. This is fun. So Peter is not your stellar Jew. He was not your most educated Jew. And yet, that's the one commissioned to go to the Jews. Paul, who has all the pedigree of a Jew, is actually sent to the Gentiles. Again, ghetto, suburb, God has a funny sense of humor sometimes, right? But he says the same commissioning that Jesus gave Peter to this group, he gave me to this group. He says, so I'm just doing my job, I'm doing what Jesus called me to do. Verse 8, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised also worked through me to the Gentiles. He points back, he says, listen, the same spirit in Peter in me. The same gospel for Peter for me. Same thing, different target, different audience. Verse 9, he says, And when James and Cephas, that's Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, 
perceive the grace that was given to me. So when he's in Jerusalem, and the leaders that were discipled by Jesus, that knew Jesus, that knew the message the most, he says, listen, when they perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles, and, to, and they to the circumcised. He says, listen, when they heard what God is doing, when they listened and asked, when we answered their questions, when we shared our message, they were like, you're right on track. And they gave them the right hand of fellowship. Like they shook their hands, they prayed for them, they sent them on their way. He says, no, you do, you're right. This is what Jesus had called you. We, we're with you. And again, Titus is there. And Titus is Greek. And Titus is never asked to conform to these things. Now, some of you that know the New Testament fairly well are thinking right now, I, but what about Timothy? So Timothy was Greek. I heard him. Mm-hmm, see? All right. Timothy also not Jewish. And when they go back to Jerusalem to do ministry in Jerusalem, Paul tells Timothy to get circumcised. Why? Because they're going to go do ministry to Jewish people, not to add to his salvation. Right? It's like this. You may have the freedom to drink, but maybe you're going to go be a part of an AA community to reach them with the gospel. What do you do? You give up for the sake of the community. You with me? You sacrifice so you can reach the audience God has called you to. Timothy goes back and willingly is circumcised, not for his salvation, not to obey some rules, but to be accepted by a Jewish community. Timothy, by the way, is half Jewish. His grandmother and mother were Jewish. His dad was not. And so he complies willingly in order to reach that community. Not to please God. Not to be obedient to some set of rules to help him manage his faith. You see the difference? Titus isn't going to minister in that community. He's not going to serve there. He's just there to get answers with Paul, with Barnabas. And they never apply that to him. Verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, so Peter, when he goes to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came with, from James, means from Jerusalem, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Paul says, listen, when Peter came out here, Peter, who was discipled by Jesus, Peter, who was commissioned by Jesus to go reach the Jewish community with the gospel, when Peter came and visited me, he ate with the Gentiles, so the other thing outside of circumcision is dietary law. No pork and, and different processes. So yes, you heard me. If circumcision wasn't bad enough, no bacon, right? That's where I checked out. So it, that's, the, that's what it was. And, and so he says, listen, he was fine. He was eating bacon. He was eating with them. He wasn't like washing his hands in a certain way. He wasn't going through the ceremony. He was just eating with them. He was eating with others. And doing that until Jews who showed up, Jewish Christians who showed up, not just Jews, Jewish Christians showed up. And he withdrew from eating with them. Hypocrisy on display, right? Remember, this is a story of freedom and slavery. And he acts like he's still under the rules when he's really free and he lives that way until someone else is looking. Verse 13, the Jews, and the rest of the Jews, acting hypocritically along with him. So the Jews that are part of that church follow his lead. So that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Listen, leadership matters, right? How we live matters. The reason Timothy was circumcised, he was being a leader trying to reach a community of people. He didn't want his covenant status as a Jew to get in the way. So he eliminates the conversation. 
When Peter's out there, he acts one way until other Jewish people show up, and then he acts another, and he leads others to do the same. Misleading others, kind of breeding hypocrisy in the church. And Paul says, I stood up, I got after him, I told him, be this way with everybody, or don't do it at all. But if this is the gospel, if this is the truth, then live it. Believe it. You believe it when nobody's looking, Believe it when somebody's looking. Verse 14, but when I saw that the conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? He's like, listen, you're Jewish, and you don't even live like it. You know Jesus fulfilled that. So then why would you try and act that way and import it onto the Gentiles who have never been Jewish? Who don't even understand it? Why would you do that? He's telling him, listen, you know the freedom in Christ. And again, it's not, we're not talking about sin versus not sin. We're talking about rules that are added on top and efforts that are intended to add to salvation. We're not talking about, hey, you were getting drunk and then you stopped. We're not talking about, hey, you were doing this sin and then you stopped, or you weren't doing this thing and you started, whatever. It's not that. So adding to the gospel, we'll put this on the screen. The sin of adding to the sufficiency of Christ often leads to the sin of hypocrisy. Rules never seem to affect us as much as we focus them at others. If I'm gonna be prone to make rules, it's gonna be rules I can already live by that make you change makes me feel better about myself, right? Because I'm already on track and I can tell you how you're doing something wrong. So that's human nature. Legalism, moralism, that when we try and make rules out of that, those rules always seem to be pointing outward. And so we wonder like, okay, well, why? Really, because we would rather deal with someone else's sin than our own sin. And so we make those rules, but they never govern us as much as we'd like to say they do. Verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. The sinner part there is not separated from God by birth. Now, technically, everyone is separated from God by birth. It's salvation that reconciles that. But the covenant belief of Judaism, you were born into a covenant family, and as long as you grew up in that and followed that, it felt like from birth. Yes, everybody, just like Christians here, just like kids here today. You grow up in the church. At some point, it moves from your family, your church, their faith, to your faith. But if you grew up like I did, not in the church, and you come to Christ later, that's more like Gentile salvation. Like you didn't grow up in it. And that's what he's saying to Peter. Listen, you and I grew up in this. We know better. We know that the rules didn't work. They just pointed out our need for a savior. So why would we take something that didn't work and try to apply it to a bunch of people that didn't grow up in it and it doesn't work anyways? Verse 15, yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Justified is a fancy word that means more than this, but think forgiven. 
It's actually that you had a debt that you created and you're being treated as if you have no debt. It's been paid for. So it's not as if you didn't do it. It's as if you've done it and yet you're not held accountable for it. It should be something that fosters more grace, more worship, more thankfulness. So here's what he says over and over again, and there's this repetition. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we have believed in Christ Jesus by faith in Christ and not by works. There's this repetition of in Christ. In fact, in the very next book, as we get into Ephesians in a few weeks, there is this long run-on sentence. Paul, a great Jew, a great Christian, not a great writing major. There is this, just this, it's the longest sentence in the entire Bible as Paul is just on one. And it's like 27 in this, 27 in Christ's. His point is who you are in Christ. Who you are in a way that you can't control or add to or take away from. That in Christ, this is who you are. And so I want to close today with just some things that Paul says, and there's so many, I limited it to about half of the things he says in Romans, just using the phrase, in Christ. So it's super small, but I want you to see this. We'll put this on the screen. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Justification. You are justified in Christ. Not by what you do, not by what you don't do, but because you are in Christ, you are justified. Romans 6, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Right? You are alive. See, here's what we miss. In a world where live your best life is the mantra, here's what we don't understand. Before Jesus, you were spiritually dead. You didn't have life. You had human life, the very thing that will die. In Christ, you are spiritually alive. You have forever. That you are reconciled to God forever. You are alive, he says, in Christ. So slavery, dead. Freedom, alive in Christ. Romans 8. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You are set free in Christ Jesus. In Christ you are free. The very thing I thought was true when I was younger, that in Christ there was more rules and more things that were so fundamentally not me and I didn't, just didn't want any part of, was the exact opposite, that I have never been freer than I am in Christ. Next one in Romans 8, a few verses later. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. First, you are loved. But more importantly, you are secure in Christ. You don't manage your faith. Jesus does. You don't please God. The Spirit in you does. You are secure in Christ. If you are saved, there's no dot, 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 maybe at the end. 
There's no question mark. If you are in Christ, you are in Christ. That is secure. Romans 12, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Most overlooked, unused thing in the church, we are not alone. In Christ, we are members of one another. Here's what that means. You need me, I need you. You need the weird guy sitting behind you. Sorry, Elliot. Do you need the people around you? Right? The people that were born speaking a different language and are trying to figure it out. You need them. And they need you. The people who have a different economic group, higher or low, you need them. Need you. All the poor people that are trapped inside of four wheels, you need them, right? And we need the crazy people on too, right? We need one another. We need each other. That's how Christ made us. The church isn't a thing where you come and hear and go. The church is this people living life together. The sooner we get a hold of that, the better our faith, our life, our marriages, our homes, our families, our children, our workplaces, the better they will be. Because we need one another. And we are members. And listen, Paul didn't say maybe. We are members of one another. I'm a part of you. You're a part of me. In Christ, we are not alone. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. The list of things we are in you goes on and goes on and goes on. But today we heard we are set free. We are no longer slaves. We are alive. We're no longer dead. We have a body called the church. We are no longer alone. We are made new. We are no longer defined by our worst decisions. Rather, we are defined by your greatest victories. We are alive in you, redeemed in you, forgiven in you, justified in you, just as if we had never done all of the things that we have done wrong. Just as if nothing of the things that have been done wrong to us have ever been done wrong. We are free from all those things. Thank you, Jesus. It's because of you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.